Hey folks, it's the old humble guy here. You're listening to my favorite podcast, Heated Agreement, and if you're living your best life, you're sipping on a glass of old humble whiskey. Our straight whiskey is made from 90% corn and 10% malted barley and aged five years in used bourbon barrels to give it a nice, light, sweet finish. We take a portion of that whiskey, put it back in new five-gallon barrels, and age it a second time to make our special reserve. Both whiskeys are clean, easy-drinking whiskeys that taste the way whiskey should taste. If you haven't done so yet, head on down to Specs and get yourself a bottle today. And if you want to be a partner with us as we grow, we have an excellent investment opportunity for you. You can find details on our website, oldhumbledistilling.com. Come grow with us. Cheers. I just have a very hard time expressing my emotions, and I can't stop from yelling. So I'm very sorry. I don't mean to offend you, but I'm not going to stop yelling. Eat it nation, baby. I'm in a good mood to podcast tonight, boys. Talking about Lynn Bowden right now, so why the hell do I care about Anaya Smith right now? Because I have an opinion and I said it. We took a little bit of a hiatus. We are back. This is Heated Agreement. Woody's in the bathroom. James is joining me here. We got a big show for the draft tonight. We just did our blind rookie draft. Uh, we have some guests today, former Texas A&M baseball players, brothers, Gandy and Tyler Stubblefield will be joining us later this evening. And we have the one and only Sam Khan, newly of The Athletic, joining us here any moment now. And uh, he can now talk about just about anything. He is covering Texas and Texas A&M when it comes to college football recruiting and just the teams in general. Guys, what are your uh, feelings on the draft tonight? What are you hoping to see? And how will this affect your fantasy draft tonight? For the Not the rookie one, the one for later in the year. Um, okay. Number oh, one, we're going to have the most quarterbacks drafted in the first round of all time. We're going to have five, at least. Potentially six. I mean, that's got to be the storyline. This is... And honestly, it feels like one of those quarterback drafts where there's not a whole lot of reaching going on. Maybe outside of Trey Lance. Well, is Trey Lance going to be the? He's not going to be the. He's going to be the fourth one taken off the board. They're talking third, which makes yeah. sense for the Niners. It makes sense for hey, the Niners. Here comes Sam. We'll talk to Sam about it. All right, let's get an inside perspective now by going inside the program with our Sam Con Jr. Sam Con Jr. is going to be our tech expert. That is our expert in the state of Texas. Recruiting world and just everything. I know it was a little, a little bit different scope than what you yeah. had before. Yeah, it's different just because. Uh, I mean, I hadn't done that in a few years. But honestly, it's not too bad because I'm not doing a ton of like prospect stuff. Like, like, right. like I'm not, I'm not. We're not doing top fives. We're not doing, you know, you know, just you know, let's talk to this kid at the camp and ask him where he's visiting. Like, we're not doing that. We're doing mostly, you know, trends and you know, just kind of stuff. Like, I did something on like underrated guys, like. You know, uh, maybe we'll do some list type stuff, but we'll do a lot of it will be trends and like what's going on. Like when we get to the dead period getting lifted here in a month and a half or month and two days, uh, like I'll probably do some stuff ahead of that. Just about how it's going to be kind of like the Wild West, you know, going yeah. into the lifting of the yeah. dead period. And 
yeah. just kind of the crazy frenzy that June's going to be. So um, I'm into stuff like that. And then, you know, I'll probably do some stuff on like recruiting strategies, like, you know, like how Jimbo and Sark's recruiting strategies look, you know, from, uh, you know, things like that. So try, try just different stuff, kind of how it affects the, the college team. That's more so than just genuine mm-hmm. prospects that we will do some prospect stuff, but just not a yeah. ton. I mean, so, last time we yeah, talked ahead, to you, last time we talked to you, you said that was what really interested you about. Yeah. Recruiting. Oh, without question. No, that's, that's awesome. That's totally, that's totally it. So that, that's what we want to do. Like we're, we're basically going to try to do a lot of like the stuff that two, four, seven does, they do really well. We're not going to do that. We're going to try to do stuff that they don't do basically. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so Wait. speaking of Sark, have you had a chance to go to a press conference or a virtual conference or talk to him in any, or any, have you gotten any feedback from him or his camp yet or worked with them at all? Or, I mean, we, we've, I've been on every, I've been on every availability he's had since he started. Uh, and then right before I got, right before, I got hired actually like right after I signed my contract, actually uh, he had did like an informal kind of virtual meet and greet, like just off the record with, you know, yeah. reporters. So I was in on that with a few other guys and we just kind of, was kind of like a, just a get to know you. And so mm-hmm. he seems like a decent dude. He seems a lot easier to work with than Herman. So, <laughs> which uh, I don't know if that's saying a whole lot, but I can imagine, <laughs> but, uh, but no, he seems to get it. And so, uh, yeah, I'm supposed to try to get with them at some point next week because I got to do something on them. But uh, so far, it's been pretty good. I have had no complaints yeah. about him. So, awesome. so what? Uh, obviously, tonight's the big deal is the draft and everything. We just did a. Uh, we started last year. We do a blind rookie draft where we go through and do like a mini fantasy team and draft the rookies that we like, but you don't know where they're going to end up at. So you right. Can, so that's that's pretty fun. If you. Uh, I guess we'll go with the SEC guys because or any because I don't think there's any Texas specific prospects expected to go tonight. No, not not tonight. No, yeah. no. The, well, no, no. You know what? There is one that might Peyton Turner from Houston. There's some oh, buzz yeah. about him possibly getting yeah. into the late first round tonight. Right. And I just uh, talked to I just talked to some guys over at Houston about him today. So, so then that kind of I kind of have a question about that with. Um, the Texas guy, Osai, falling out of the first round. He was projected to go there the whole – maybe the whole year before this. What led to that? And, I mean, is he, should he be a first-round draft pick? Yeah, I don't know. That, I, haven't, I haven't followed his process super closely, but uh, he, he's a really good – like, he's a really good prospect. Like, I, I like him. His physical ability is really good. I, I haven't followed – that's the thing is, so I haven't followed the draft stuff super closely because I was – out of a job for two of those months <laughs> and then yeah. once I got in once I got here I've been focused so much on the college stuff and then really I've spent like the last I don't know day or two starting to pay attention to it a little bit just because that our editor told us she's that apparently I guess at ESPN when we were at ESPN we didn't do they didn't have the college folks do a lot of stuff with the draft like once they declared it was kind of the NFL team kind of did the coverage from that point ex- with the exception of maybe pro day uh here they want us to be involved so uh so so i so i'm I'm actually in the process still of doing some draft prep for tonight and tomorrow and, and saturday just specifically i'll probably just focus on the texas state of texas prospects or either guys that i saw when they were recruits right. or guys that i covered at the college level but uh so so i haven't followed like the ups and downs with the exception of like you know just the buzz of like mac jones and stuff like that but, right but, but Osai is a really good player. So, I mean, I – yeah, I'm not sure why he's fallen necessarily. But, 
but he's a he's a good ball player. Is there anything specifically that's really got your attention tonight? Yeah, I'm curious to see. I mean, obviously the quarterbacks. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. seeing that so much talk about them, what order they're going to go in, how many of them are going to go in succession potentially. Uh, you know, I am fascinated with where Justin Fields goes. I, I cannot understand oh, yeah. why he is yep. falling down draft boards. Like. Yep. The guy was the number one recruit in the country coming out. And he obviously didn't play much his first year, but at Ohio State, he did nothing but ball. So I am trying to understand what is the problem that why is he falling? So I'm fascinated to see where he winds up. Uh, I don't think he'll sneak into the first round, but I'm interested to see what happens with Kellen Mond. You know, yeah. uh, I, I do think he's got a chance to be a second round guy. Was uh, I was trying to remember. So I put out a report that Kellen told them specifically that teams are telling him, "Hey, you, we don't think you're going to drop past the second round." Kind of deal. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't know if, no. if y'all remember seeing something like that, but I, I, I don't. I don't remember seeing that. But I will say, I wouldn't be shocked if he's in the second. Like I, I, I would actually be. I am expecting him to probably be like at least a late second round guy because right. he's he kind of checks all the boxes, right? Know? I mean, style offense, yeah. And he developed really well over his three years, last three years, I should say. Uh, you know, he's accurate, he's consistent, he's a leader, he he's coachable. I mean, he's athletic as hell. I I'd be I more shocked if he got out of the second round than if he got drafted in the first round, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I think he's a second or third round guy, but I think he's got a ton of potential. I like, I don't, I like, I don't know like, again. And I, I liked him. I saw him as a recruit. I don't think I'd take Kyle Trask over him. No, I think I'd take Kellen over Kyle. Nope. I, it's also not fair to say this because of the amount of guys that were sitting out, but I think you kind of saw the effect of what Kyle Trask had around him in that mm-hmm. Oklahoma in that Oklahoma game. Yep. Like I was talking to a Georgia guy today and I said, you know, it's not fair to do that, but at the same time, your eyes tell you that that OU defense, I mean, while it was much improved, it's still not what he faced in some of the SEC teams. Mm-hmm. And he struggled mightily against Oklahoma in that game without uh, Pitts and Tony and all those cats. Meanwhile, Kellen lost most of his top guys at the start of the season. Exactly. Yep. Or or early in the season, he lost Caleb Chapman a couple games in, and yeah, uh, Osmond opted out. Yeah, did a um, so, couple guys went early. Couple guys left early that we didn't expect from the yeah, right. nineteen team. Rogers Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. So I'm sure you've seen today all of the rumors about Aaron Rodgers. What uh, what's your take <laughs> on all that? Because that is quite the shit show. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I didn't realize that was coming, but I get it. I mean, mm-hmm. he he has spent his entire career there, and I don't feel like they've maximized it. No, I feel never like invested in weapons for him. Ever. He's. I I heard somebody say the other day that they have never spent a first round pick on a receiver for him. Yep. Why? I don't understand that. Uh, it's like James said, they grow they, on trees. They, they deserve everything with this Aaron Rodgers shit because of last year's draft. That's the worst yep. draft I've ever seen in my life. Didn't they awful. take Jordan Love last yeah. year in the first and round? They round pick was a Jordan Love, back. and then they took A.J. Dillon when they have two really good running backs. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I get it. I totally get why, why he would want out because I feel like as somebody as good as he is, I mean, he's one of the all-time greats in my opinion. And yeah, they, you would think he had multiple Super Bowl rings by now, and I feel like they have it in large part because of the lack of weapons around them. Right. My question at this point is really how much can they get for him? He's a quarterback that wants out, and everybody knows it, and he's 38 years old. I mean, how how much can old. they actually get for him? He's all he's obviously and, still one of the best. He's an he was an MVP last year, but I, I guess it depends. It depends. It depends on how much longer you think he's going to play. I guess, but yeah, is, is he a Tom Brady or is he a uh, somebody looking to get out pretty quick? Yeah, I mean, he, we already see he's workshopping his post football career. So yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. I think the team that makes the most sense to me is probably the 49ers because we've seen how close they are. And he's from California. You add an elite that, quarterback, and they're there. I mean, with, if, they, if they stay healthy, if they stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he in the draft with Alex Smith? And I think he grew up a 49er fan, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. And yeah, think- he's from California. If you want to talk about a guy that might play a little longer, put him in his home state where he's repeatedly said that he wants to end up back in. Mm-hmm. And he's dating a Hollywood actress, so that helps. <laughs> engaged to. I just found that out today. I didn't realize that he was engaged to – um Woodley. I thought he was dating Danica Patrick. No, that ended. This is not a uh, TMZ show, guys. Come on, let's go. (laughs) Hey, Sam, so since we, we, it was probably right before March Madness, I think, when we had you on, what did you think of the COVID tournament? The NCAA tournament? Yeah, yeah, the NCAA tournament. How everything played out, considering that there was no true host and it all being in in, uh, Indiana and all that. It was still a lot of fun. It was still a lot of fun to watch. I I really thought your Cougars were going to pull it out. Yeah, it's funny, actually. When I did my bracket, I had them losing to Baylor in the Final Four. I I saw how how good that team was and how athletic and long they were. Now, I didn't think they would lose by that much to Baylor, but – I did. I did think Baylor was a better team. Uh, I did. I had Gonzaga beating Baylor in my bracket, but uh, so wow, ba- Baylor was a buzzsaw in mm-hmm. the Final Four. Like it was unbelievable. I had never seen the team so physical and so defensively sound as they were. And they got yeah. better as the tournament went on. I mean, mm-hmm. they just kept getting better. The first two rounds, was- they were they looked kind of pedestrian, and then after that, they just took off. Mm-hmm. Well, it, I think it was part of the the COVID deal. They they just slowly got better and better and better after they came back from that COVID layoff. Because I remember watching them in the Big Twelve tournament against I'm pretty sure it was Oklahoma State, and thinking Baylor is they might make the Final Four, but they are not what I thought they were. And so that really affected everything I did in my bracket, and I was uh, I was sorely mistaken there, and it cost me dearly. <laughs> the thing that impressed me about them too was their depth. When the first three, four guys off the bench, there was no drop-off from the starting lineup with those guys. I mean, and that that is, I think, what made it particularly tough on Gonzaga was so when one guy goes to the bench, you're getting guarded by a guy who's just as physical, just as long, just as relentless. Yep. And it was just a challenge for them. To, I mean, they, they couldn't even get anything going offensively. It was Nope. Yeah. They couldn't get so into I- their offense. I think I said this to Woody, but and and obviously I've been covering the game and I'm not an aficionado or anything, but Mitchell reminds me of Westbrook. If Westbrook played block, if he if he sinks his head in and plays defense from second one to second zero, 
that's kind of who I see him. Cause on offense, I see a lot of that with how explosive he is and how like you, nobody, the whole tournament could stay in front of him, no matter how hard they tried. And then uh, his defense was just, I, I understand. He has the most awesome nickname ever. Off I don't night. know if you ever, yeah, off night. <laughs> and you saw why there, especially in the final four and uh, championship game. I was wondering if y'all ever kind of saw that in his game at all, or is it just I, me? I don't think he's as explosive. I mean, Westbrook is just right. in a different level of elite explosiveness, mm-hmm. but that's know. just me. So, uh, y'all, y'all got any questions for Sam? We, yeah. we don't want to keep you too long because of the draft and everything, let you get over there. But yeah, sure. I did yeah. want to ask you one quick thing towards the college football end of things. Um, What's your take? Feels kind of like free agency right now with the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. And I, quite frankly, as much as everybody bitches and moans and complains about it, I don't hate it. I really don't. I think kids should have a, a choice of where they get to play and where they get to go to school and where they get to live. Um, what's your take on the transfer portal today? And do you think it's just going to become free agency at some point? I mean, where do you think this is heading? I actually agree with you 100%. I was actually talking about this with a couple of folks earlier this week. I don't understand why people use that free agency term in a pejorative manner when it comes right. to transfer portal. I think it's perfectly fine. It, to me, I look at a team, okay, Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State are not going to use it a ton because they can still get 23, 24, 25 of the best high school prospects of the country in their class. So for them, it's okay. If there's a guy available, we'll get one. But other than that, they're not going to fulfill their needs that way. But I look at a program like Texas Tech where they do have a hard time getting the best high school prospects because they're in Lubbock. It's further away. You have to, if you are in, you know, live in Houston, you probably have to get on a plane to get there as opposed to driving eight hours. So rather than go for the high school recruit who may be okay that you're going to gamble on for, you know, traits – or measurables that may you're going to take gambles because of upside that you think they might have, but you don't know it's going to pan out. You're going to have a ton of guys who were four-star types who went out of state and decided, well, this big perennial powerhouse program is not for me. I'm not getting playing time. I'm down on the depth chart. I'm going to come back to my home state in Texas and play. Texas Tech's going to take one of those guys, and they, they will have college video, college tape of him playing against actual college competition so they know what type, type of competition he's playing against. And he'd come in and play right away. I mean, in the last three years, uh, Matt Wells has taken 20 transfers in the last three years, the four-year the transfers. Jake, the Jake Spavadol approach. Right. And, yeah. and I, I, ha- I think supplementing your roster in that way is totally fine. Mm-hmm. To me, if it improves the on-field product at the end of the day and the, and the players are happy, if the players are happy with their decision, it's fine. I, you know, earlier this week, I know we, you guys saw Shadrick Banks, you know, decided to jump in the portal uh, after only one spring practice in a few months on campus. Some people are upset with that and they don't get it, but I understand it. It's, it's hard. You know what? He's from North shore. He's from East Houston going from East Houston to college station. is a tough transition. Maybe he mm-hmm. decided that it's not just not the right fit for him that he thought it was, he was committed for so long and he thought, you know, in his vision that it was the right fit, but maybe once he got there and he decided, you know, it's not going to be a right fit. And there are other issues there. I mean, certainly was he going to crack the lineup this year at wide receiver? Probably not. Is he probably a little heavier than they would like him to be? Probably. But there's also the fact that it's, 
a co- transition to college is not just about the playing time and stuff. It's also about fit. And it, right. if you don't fit and you don't get along necessarily, or does it, it just, uh, the place doesn't fit you and it's not what you're about, then it's, there's nothing wrong with taking, making a move on that. And so to that end, I think the, the one-time transfer rule, while coaches are going to get frustrated about it, it's not going to be in the college football. Everything's right. going to be just fine. And I think you're going to see – we've seen some great success stories out of it. We just mentioned Justin Fields. Obviously, this was, that was before the portal was in. But Justin Fields turned out to be a transfer that turned out Joe great. Burrow. I, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. I mean, there's tons of these guys. A lot of the number one picks in the draft recently, the guys we just rattled off, the Baker, Joe Burrow, and Kyler Murray were all number one picks in the draft that were all transfers. I don't, I don't see that think there's anything wrong with that. Now, are there going to be some that it turns out badly for? Sure. But I think that that would be the case whether you have the transfer portal or not. All you're doing at this point is you're taking the control away from the coaches. And I think that's fine because unless you're treat unless they're actually employees and unless you're actually treating them like employees and I read that I said that compensating them, then that I don't I don't believe in restricting player movement as long as coach or coach movement is unrestricted. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's I almost like when they're not getting paid, it's almost you're just like holding them against their will. Like you have that's to right. go to school here. But we're not we're not going to pay you. Yeah. But you have to come here because you already decided. It's essentially a non-compete. It's like a non-compete. Right. So if you're going to get a non-compete in your contract, that means you're getting paid for being there. Mm-hmm. So and the yeah. only thing, the thing I have me, any issues. Oh, go ahead, Woody. Go. Oh, go so ahead. the thing to me is like people will get mad or frustrated about the Shadrach Banks thing, or like just as an example, right? That kid's supposed to be getting ready for his senior prom. That's right. You think he knew what the hell he wanted mm-hmm. when he was 16 years old when he committed to AM? Hell no, he didn't know. And that, and the, the thing is that's tough. The wants. thing is that's tough, tough about that too is this dead period over the last year because you haven't been able right. to go visit. He would have been able to probably get a little bit of better feel on an official visit and spending more time with the staff, more time with people on campus. And that is one of, I think if you're going to see transfer portal activity in the, last, in the next year, a lot of it is going to be fallout from guys who went to a school because they didn't have a chance to visit because of the pandemic. And that's going to be one of the tough fallouts of yeah. it in the short term. The only issue I have with any of it at all is a guy like a Kendall Daniels situation where you signed your NLI, you haven't made it to campus yet, and you the, the stuff that I don't know whether anything went on behind closed doors or not, but until you like get there and you're like, Hey, this isn't for me that I kind of think that you should at least get there and see once you sign the dotted line, regardless in this, but at the same time, they haven't had any visits. So I understand right now with that, but in a normal year, if it keeps trending this way, I don't really like the, I made a decision. I haven't even gotten to campus yet. The, but like a, like a Brew McCoy situation, but or Xavier Worthy over at Michigan. Xavier Worthy, yeah, exactly. That's the only problem I have with it. But that's a personal thing, and I, I can see why it would also be beneficial, and why you know a coach gets fired and he gets let go, and we'll you know, the, or, or they 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 wait till signing day and then they announce your position coach is gone. I get all that, but that's the only bug I have with it. And if that's the only issue, I think in the long run it's good for the good for the game maybe, maybe it'll push more people to be like hey these kids are making us so much money we should compensate them and then at that point you can have a different conversation about letting them out and stuff like that so maybe maybe it'll push the meet somewhere in the middle kind of over you the know to, to to your point on that with the national ever intent 
I also think, and there was talk about it a few years back, and I don't, it never really picked up steam, but this is why I think kids shouldn't sign them. Just mm -hmm. enroll. Just go pick your school and enroll. It's because the NLI is very one-sided to the school. So it yeah. ties the kid to the school, but not necessarily the school to the kid. Like if this, I mean, it does tie the school to the kid. But what I'm saying is that if the kid wants to transfer in that first year, he doesn't do that one year that NLI is kind of what holds him to it. And, and it is, I think if you're a high-level prospect, certainly the under prospects, it's a little bit tougher. But if you're a five-star kid, I would never sign the national level. Nope, because they're going to take you no matter what. Exactly. Financial aid papers and say, I might show up. That's right. That's right. They're now, the, financi for you. the financial aid papers is what ties the school to the prospect. And yep. so once you do that, you're good to go. But I, I, I think that's one thing that does not get talked about in this whole process that I think could really use uh, some adjustments is the, the national letter of intent system. Yeah. So with this whole system that we're talking about, what are your thoughts on kind of adjusting the initial counters on, because right now these, these transfers are counting as initial counters towards your class. Well, you know, if they're only going to be there for one year, then it's going to really mess up mm -hmm. everything. So what is, I, I think they, with the climate it's in today, I think they have to adjust that at some point. How would you go about that? I, I agree. I think at the very minimum, if nothing else, make it a counter over two years. Instead of making a hard count every year, If you instead of doing 25 over one year, maybe do 50 over two or maybe 55 over two. It, it, but you've got to give the, the coaches and some flexibility to manage the roster because that, one thing is, is once they've signed, if they bail, they still count against the class, regardless yeah, yeah. of whether they're on campus or not. And that makes it tough. And you look at, a place like Kansas that fell so far behind on scholarships that factors into that when guys transfer and you start end up falling behind on scholarship numbers, it's hard to catch up because you can only sign 25 and then you're never, you're never going to have a class where all 25 guys stay. You're just never going to happen. Yeah. It's just the nature of we're dealing with 17 and 18 year old kids. So that that's unrealistic. So I, it does need some adjustment and coaches and schools do need more flexibility in that regard because otherwise you know, you're, you're micromanaging the roster down to 85 and that's part of the gig, but it's, it's a challenge to do. And if you're having to lose a few every year to attrition that you can't replace because of the hard counter limit, then it's challenging because the initial reason that rule was put in was to prevent schools from signing 32 guys. And then, you know, we'll sign a few guys that may not qualify and then just let them go. Or we may push them into gray shirts. Like I understand why they did that. And, you know, I remember Alabama was a big, they utilize that in a big way. But I think I feel like that problem has kind of subsided. So I think there's a way to adjust without letting schools go back to doing that. Uh, I think there's a way to adjust it. Like I said, over a two or three year period, if you were to adjust yeah. a hard number over that as opposed to just every year the same number. Yeah. Yeah. I so think, speaking of, oh, go ahead, buddy. Finish just up. To wrap that up. I think it's really tough to make a coach kind of choose between a one-year fix to a problem and a four-year prospect, right? I don't think they should have to choose either. I think there's got to be some sort of middle ground there. Absolutely. And the tough part is – the other thing is I think you could do – you could just have them get – if a guy transfers, get the scholarship back. Yeah. And it could be as simple as that. Mm -hmm. uh, if a guy if – if a scholarship guy leaves, you get that scholarship back. I, I, I don't think there's anything bad to that. But these guys – that's the funny thing is you mentioned the four-year thing is these guys used to map out the team for four years and we go back to the transfer portal. That's not the reality anymore. Now it's a year to year thing. It is kind of, you do run it like an NFL team now because you're trying to shore up roster holes every year 
and you don't know what departures are coming because you're not just getting draft departures, you're getting transfer departures. Of course, you have, may have medical guys that end up having to medically retire and all these types of things. So I, it's no more we're going to build our team and look at our depth chart and here's what it looks like four years from now. It's that, that day is kind of dying. It's now kind of a more of a one or two year thing. And you hope yep. like hell that you can have a stable team over that course yeah. of time. So you, you were talking about Kansas falling way behind. That kind of brings me into one, something I wanted to ask you. You saw uh, Mike Elko was a quote unquote a finalist. How much of a finalist was he with? Was it more of Kansas wanting him and he kind of just quickly considered it? Did you hear anything behind or with what was going on there? Or? I, I hadn't heard a ton about how real it was, but I'll say this. Elko is going to be a legitimate head coach candidate in the near future. Oh, no, no doubt. No and, doubt. And I don't think he's leaving for Kansas. Though. No, I, I don't think so either. And I think part of that – but part of it is, is you never want to take your name out, especially if you're a coordinator who's not been a head coach before. You don't want to pull your name out of those things because you, you need, that, you need the, your name out there it helps. It helps your future job prospects. And also if he, if he interviewed, which I do not know if he interviewed or not, those reps are valuable. And yeah. going from coordinator to head coach is a challenge. Look at Dave Aranda at Baylor. He is, was one of the best defensive coordinators in the country who had a challenging transition last year. And for a number of reasons, not just because of the pandemic, but also Dave told me himself that he had to learn how to be a head coach because he was so into X's and O's and being a head coach is only partially that being a head yeah. coach is also being the face of a program. It's installing a culture. It's shaking hands with boosters and going to all these events, being an X's and O's guy and a scheme guy is only part of being a head coach. And that's, that's what coaches love the most about coaching is the, the scheme, the X's and O's mm -hmm. and, and coaching ball. But that's only a small part of being a head coach. And so when you're a guy like Elko, who's got to take that step, going through that process of interviewing or just even having your name out there so that when this 2021-22 coaching cycle starts, people think, okay, he was a candidate. His name was thrown out for the Kansas job. And, and ADs and administrators and presidents, they pay attention to that stuff. They, they do. Yeah. So he, he will be assuming that A&M's defense is really good, which I fully expect it to be with nine starters returning. They may be as good as they've been in a couple of decades this year he is going to be a candidate for a head coaching job this offseason without question. No, and he should be, but I think he needs to look a bit above Kansas. No question. I No no, no question. I would take a group of five job, a lot of group of five jobs before I would take Kansas job. Kansas okay. job is the hardest power five job in the country right now. Kansas, I, I would, Rutgers, uh, I wouldn't touch. Rutgers, Rutgers is the other one, yeah. I mean, I would Andy compare... had to just hire Clark Lee, which is yeah. like Elko's protege. Yeah. But but I but I, he he could get I think he can get a mid level power five or a good power five, uh, or, or a really good group of five job like he, yeah. any of those I think he will have a good shot I'll be fascinated I just knowing his personality I think it would translate well to being a head coach he's a real personable guy uh, he knows his stuff uh, I, I think I think he'll be I think he'll he has real high potential as a head coach down the road Do you, do you think, think he'll head he, back Sorry go I ahead was, I was gonna say Do you think he uh pushes it off one more year and maybe pulls a uh, Kirby and, and gets a really big and really nice power five job. Cause it's, and I wonder like how much his kid plays into it. Right. So his kid's a junior, I believe. So if he stays two more seasons or what, yeah, two more seasons, he can leave with his kid and not have to move him another year. But those are always, those are always important factors in this thing. So like I, coaches, I would, a lot of times, 
will wait on those types of circumstances before making a move because that's important. It's right. important. And you want to be around for, you know, your kids' most important moments and, and right. not have to uproot them, you know, a year before they graduate high school. Yeah. So, uh, James, you got anything else real quick? Uh, no, I was just going to mention we talked a little bit about the, the transfer portal and the dead period ending with all this coming together at the same time, just how crazy it's going to be. Uh, <laughs> like, and, and with the, the coaches, you know, all the turnover, we're talking about how they only have one, looking at the, the roster for one or two years out, and that's all you really can do. How much more impressive it's going to be when the same three coaches run everything every year in the semifinals every single year. <laughs> this is why they need like to expand the playoffs. It, it won't affect Saban and Dabo mm-hmm. and Day, and it's just going to be the same thing. And that's why they need to expand the playoffs. That's why I was glad to hear that, they had that they're having those discussions now because we've got to get out of this cycle of three, four teams consolidating yeah. the power they, at the top. And everyone everyone that talks against it, they're said, well, they're just going to beat the crap out of whoever gets in. That's then okay. I'd rather fine. see that. They're going to beat the crap out of the fourth team that gets in any, anyway. I mean, we haven't that, seen close games. What do people love about March Madness? The upsets. Yeah. We don't have those opportunities right now because you don't let them in. And to me, I have always been a proponent that if you win your conference championship, you deserve a shot. Yep. And so, it, it, to, especially if you're a Power 5 league, I would go as far to be if you're a F- FBS champion in any league that you deserve a shot. I'm more of the 12, 16 team variety because I think if you win your conference championship, if you are looking for actual fair champion, if that's the goal, a fair champion across 130 teams, then every team that wins their league should have a shot, in my opinion. So, yeah, like, imagine how crazy it would have been if UCF would have pulled off an upset in 2017. I would have loved to see game, them have the one, shot. One game. Well, I mean, look at what they did to Auburn in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. Yeah. Well, I was going to say 2018, they were – before Milton gets hurt in that game against LSU, watching that first half, I don't know how many teams in America could have beaten UCF in 2018 at the end of the year before Milton got hurt. They they were kind of a 2012 A&M-ish with how, with how hot they were rolling. And then that injury to Milton kind of – knocked them down as peg and then they haven't really gotten back up there since but. and y'all remember that uh 2015 houston team that went 13 and one and beat jimbo's fsu team in the peach yep. bowl unfortunately they, they were <laughs> they were pretty good i yeah. i would have loved to have seen them against a, a, a top 10 team in a yeah. in a quarterfinal playoff game that, that would have been to yeah. me that would have been fascinating so, so. i you, i think it's i think it's important that we get because the sport has become so national that in order to keep everybody's interest, you have to keep more teams involved to the end. And everybody says it may devalue the regular season, but I don't believe that because if you're if you're fighting for seeding or you're fighting for a berth, and if your team is in it, then those games still matter. And the other effect to expansion is if you are having conference champions guaranteed and you do have more pass to the playoff, you get better non-conference games because you don't have to fear losing a non-conference game. So you can have more blue blood programs playing – Right, right, because if they lose it, well, it's not going to be a big deal because they but can still go out and win it, their league. But if right, you that, win it, it puts you in a really pretty spot. Without question. And you give you give those teams incentives in the first round, say, you know what, you can host the first-round game. And you, you telling me you, you Alabama and Nick Saban don't want to host a first-round game Could at you imagine that Stadium? atmosphere? Oh, oh my, my gosh. It would be incredible. Oh I, I, I did out the bracket the other day. Um, I have to pull it up and see. It's like last year – if we would have had the playoff, let me pull it up real quick because I was doing this. If we did a 16-team playoff uh, last year, 
what the matchups would have been. And yeah. some of them were really, really fun. Let me uh, let me see if While I can. You're doing that, did did somebody you, uh... else at the Athletic do something like that? We did, we did one, yeah. Andy Staples did one with all the different models. He did one for 6, 8, uh, tw- 10, 12, and 16. I just did one simply for 16 teams. Let me cool. pull up the matchups. Here, here I got them. So, uh, well, Alabama and Ball State would have been your 116. That would have been a, a blowout. Yeah. But your 8-9 would have been the same one that you had. It would have been Cincinnati and Georgia. Your 5-12 would have been Texas A&M and Coastal Carolina. Ooh, okay. That okay. would have been a lot of fun. Okay. That's a fun game. Yes. Uh, your 4-13 would have been Notre Dame versus San Jose State. Uh, your six Starkle, Nick Starkle, Nick baby. Cool. Yeah, you got your six eleven would be Oklahoma and Indiana. Ooh, that, oh, that that would have been a blowout. Your uh, your three fourteen would have been Ohio State versus Oregon, which we were supposed to get anyways. That's right. And then yeah. Florida, Florida and Iowa State is your seven ten, and your two fifteen is Clemson UAB. So, but Florida Iowa State, but if Florida playing Iowa State in a playoff game, then guess what? Kyle Pitts and all those guys don't opt out, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden you have a really compelling. Uh, first round game, right. so, and then your I, the quarterfinals are maybe Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame, Texas A&M, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Clemson, Florida. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing is, even if all of the top seeds win the first round matchup, the second round matchups are even better than. Yes, that's right. So that, that's the thing. No, it's, like it's a win win. Look at look at I said the games I just read off: Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame, Texas A&M, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson, Florida. That's what everybody wants to see. Those are four monster games. That's those are your quarterfinal games last year. If it plays out by chalk. And oh, yeah. I hate the argument of like, well, it's going to be the same two teams at the end anyways. Not you necessarily. Who's in the college basketball championship this year? Yeah. Gonzaga and Baylor. And the thing is, is a Gonzaga, a Gonzaga cannot exist in college football because of the way the current structure is set would have up. They would never gotten here. They would have never yeah. gotten here. Because the, the, the analogous team to Gonzaga would be a Boise State that in 2007 won a New Year's Six Bowl, and then they would be a team that could get into the playoff perennially right. but they didn't for what what are, what are the reasons why because we have an exclusive system and the other thing is is this is the reason also the reason why i'm a 16 proponent uh 16 team proponent is we say okay give five power fives and one group of five birth okay i get that and that's actually probably what we're gonna end up with we'll probably end up with eight and we'll probably end up with five power fives and a group of five that's closer to to fair than what we have now but i take a okay my alma mater i went to houston so why is Houston not in? Because they are, if they, if they went undefeated, because they are in a group of five conference. Why are they in a group of five conference? Because they were left out of the Southwest Conference when it broke up. When Southwest Conference broke up, they were left out of the Big 12. Why? Because of money and politics and timing. Because of politics, yeah. it, it's not It's not for any performance reasons. It's because it was arbitrary. Because why did Baylor get into the Big 12 and Houston or TCU or SMU did not? A lot of it had to do with yeah. money and politics. So there's, it's an arbitrary line that you're drawing as opposed to, doing on any kind of performance base. Now, if you want to argue that for like the Sun Belt or something, I get it. But, uh, but when you're talking some of these teams that got left out over conference realignment over time, like why is Rutgers in a power five conference, but UCF is not, you right. know, why, you know, Kansas isn't a power five. I guess the basketball program is good, but Kansas as a football program is terrible, but there are plenty of group of five programs that are way better than Kansas, but they're, they would have a better shot just by virtue than being in the big 12. And so that's kind of why I'm a little bit more of the more is better. In a, in a playoff setup. Yeah, and eight's not perfect, but any more than four, any anything. That I think eight. Yeah, I, I can live with eight. Anything. I can live with eight. I can live with eight with five power conference champions and one group of five. 
I can live with that because then your UCF or your Boise State or your Coastal would have a shot. And and that's I think again I think that's part of what makes it fun. And you're still getting really competitive, compelling matchups. And it's not like the NCAA tournament where there's 68 teams. Even if you had eight or 12 or 16, there are 130 teams in FBS. So that is still a very small percentage of the teams that are getting in. It, it, I would think this timing the, is really good teams too. That you- the teams that you listed, there can't be more than they more than a one loss or two loss. Maybe there's one two loss team in there, but for the most part, you still can't lose more, more than one game and get no, in. Yeah, it, it, you're you're you may have a few conference champions if you have an automatic conference champion. You, let's remember, let's not forget when the BCS around the Big East champion was always like a three loss team. We had yeah. UConn. UConn got into some BCS games a, a couple times, but hey, our our boy Aaron Torres will not appreciate that slander. <laughs> but but. That's okay, okay, because again, they won their conference, so that's fine. I, I have no problem with it. To me, them getting one spot is not is not a detriment when you have enough when you have enough of the really good teams that deserve a shot at championship getting a shot. And to me, that that's the bottom line is play it out on the field rather than having. And what what is the thing that everybody hates the most about the playoff right now is the selection committee and the selection process because it's all arbitrary. And it's subjective. Well, guess what? When you allow a conference champion and you take that part out because you earn your way in. And then, okay, then we can be arbitrary about the at-large teams. But I think having a path for somebody to get an automatic bid, I think, matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Make, make the conference championship mean something. Right. Give them a home game. And now if you want to complain about the committee, you can tell them, well, win your conference and you're in. Instead, it's like, oh, yep. well – the other teams in your conference need to be better, and that's, that's how right. you get in? That that's makes right. no sense. Like, so I would have loved to have seen Cincinnati. I mean, y'all saw how they played Georgia. I would have loved to see them. Game. I would have loved to have seen them game. get a shot. You know, mm-hmm. just their coastal coastal was a ton of fun to, to see. I mean, yeah. I don't know if they would have. I don't know if they would have beaten any of those top four teams, but I sure how would have watched it. I mean, how much fun? How much fun was Coastal and BYU to watch? You know, this oh season? yeah, it was a ton of fun. I th- I think also the group of five is gaining steam on the. Because of the college football playoff, I think the group of five is gaining st- ground on the non-Alabama, Ohio State guys. I I think this whole talk about the playoff is coming at a very good time for the group of five because I think because of the playoff, the gap obviously for those top Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, all them, that gap has gotten up there. But the difference here is they have gone down and the power five is slowly gaining ground on them. UCF is recruiting well, and then they're developing well. You get you don't necessarily need a senior-laden team to have a good run that going well, forward. A lot of that again is due to the transfer portal. I was going to say, they're, they're because because those again those guys that are those guys that are that are for whatever reason something happened or they didn't crack the depth chart or what have you, but they're legitimate four-star recruits. They're going back and transfer to some of those schools and and. Some of them are getting legitimately really good coaches. I'm Gus Malzahn, uh, you know, as the coach at Auburn, that guy went to a national championship as a head coach and won a national championship as a coordinator. I mean, that's a legitimately really good coach. Hell, Memphis is putting out a running back in the first three rounds every year now. Mm -hmm. Even a team like Memphis, who has never really contended or even been in like that spot to argue for a, you know, playoff berth, they're putting out top prospects all the time. Yep, Houston, people, you know teams like that that have never not the UCF, 
not the Cincinnati, the teams that are, you know, fighting, trying to say they deserve to be in. All these other really good teams like Houston, Memphis, Tulsa, all these guys, they have legit prospects on their teams. Mm-hmm. So, hey, uh, real quick before I let you go, did you you were on the field this past weekend for the spring game? Or were you no, at in Austin. No, I was in Austin at UT's oh, the spring okay. game. I saw, I saw but you live tweeting this, so I didn't. Yeah, no, I was so I was watching. I was in the press box at UT, but I also had. The Baylor spring game on, and then I had the AM spring game on. Okay. So I was Damn. I was trying to keep track of all three at one time. And let me tell you that was a challenge. But but uh it was it was interesting to watch, certainly. Uh like I said, I think the quarterback battle at AM is what fascinates me the most going into the in fall. Texas, right? In Texas with Casey Thompson, Hudson Card. You know, Texas, I don't think certainly in the spring game, neither one of those guys separated themselves. You know, mm-hmm. Casey Casey had a really good first half and, and look comfortable. And then he kind of struggled down the stretch and Hudson card in the second half kind of settled in and started to make some really good throws. So I'm fascinated how that goes, but uh, I'll tell you what made me laugh about the AM game was, uh, was the quarterbacks getting hurt. Like Calzada's over here, getting oh. his arm fallen on by a, a fumble and Haynes King's over here getting hurt. And I was like, no, I was like, if Jimbo Jimbo's over there, like losing his mind, you had the sound on, but he's I could hear- <laughs> at the top of his lungs. I need to go back and watch the whole thing, but I did catch a decent amount of those clips. And I tell you, we got to have more spring games with a coach mic'd up because yes. that was a lot of fun to listen that to. That made it all worth watching. A I would, I would pay probably uh, NFL red zone money to watch <laughs> games with Jimbo mic'd up. Yeah. I, I mean, and, uh, please be, let, let it be unedited too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no right. delay. No delay. No delay. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise you're going to have a lot of mutes. But uh... it'd be like the UFC when it's like not the pay per view and they're just bleeping everything out. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and yeah, then they go to the pay per view and then they can actually say it. Yeah. Yeah. But but I I think I think uh, I think, uh, think A is a fascinating team to watch this year because I think the defense is going to be really really good. Uh, the skill. Huh. Me, me and Woody were projecting probably not this draft, but the following draft, probably eight of the 11. You could probably, you could make an argument for eight of the 11 starters could be drafted next year. Not that they all will be, but they got, they got a chance to have a lot of guys. Like they got some really good guys on that, on the defensive side, but, but the skill talent offensively is really good with, you know, you got an IS back, you Mm -hmm. got a chain and Spiller and you got Weidermeyer. The the question is quarterback and offensive line. That, that's have, those you, are the big uh, had any, have you had any conversations with them? The guys on the call were saying that Jimbo and them feel that they can get the uh, the mesh, get them the mesh that they could be better than last year's offensive line. I don't know if you. I think the talent, the talent is. I don't know. Talent is definitely there, in my opinion. Okay. It's yeah. just a matter if the chemistry and cohesion takes time and reps. Mm-hmm. And, and you, that's the thing is that underrated about last year is that nine to one team that line was good, they were cohesive, and they were consistent. And, and that is yeah. that's hard to get. So my, my thing is with A&M is the schedule, I think, in the front end is soft enough that – and the defense is good enough that that defense can probably carry the boat for a little while mm-hmm. until the offensive line gets it together and until yeah. the quarterback gets himself on the You're not playing Alabama second week of the season. Exactly. I think five and a half, six weeks so. – yeah, October. I think October 9th is when they play yeah. them, and they and they host them, which is a helpful, yeah, uh, helpful bonus. Right. I All mean, righty, Sam. 
Well, we'll let you oh, – wait, right before I let you go, call your shot on the Texas and Texas A&M starters. Obviously, it's it, they're not going to call anything anytime soon, and nobody really knows, but just call your shot on both of them. I'll go Haynes King at Texas A&M and Casey Thompson at Texas. Okay. That's safe money. Yeah, yep. safe money. All right, Sam, thank you so much for hopping on with us. Enjoy the draft, and uh, as always, we can find you at Sam Con Jr. on Twitter, right? S Con Jr. S Con Jr. S Con Jr. on Twitter, and he's – some really fun topics too i've been noticing and reading them so keep up the work we enjoy it and thank you thank you for having me guys thanks sam appreciate it i'll take care later boys i need to get some food in me i'm fucking hungry do it now because uh dandy's gonna be a little bit later i ate before we got on like a normal human we started at six o'clock 11 minutes 5 30 texas time is he off Dude, we're live congrats on YouTube. Congrats, you're on YouTube. You're an idiot. <laughs> he, he can't hear you. He said, they said, congrats, you're on YouTube. <laughs> He'll be fired by Monday. Yeah. <laughs> Leo's gonna... If anybody watched this, I'd be fired on Monday. <laughs> yeah. It's, we right. have, like, six people, so it's no big deal.